Before you start this episode, a quick warning. Today's episode does cover sexual assault that some may find offensive. We do understand if this may be a lot, and we will see you on the next episode. Listener discretion is advised. Happy Happy holidays! holidays. I'm Ken Kringle. And I'm Brianna Bells. And this is (laughs) When the Light Goes Out. Christmas music. No, I hate oh. Christmas music. Fuck oh, yeah, that. Don't Never put mind. Christmas music. I hate Christmas music. I, I can't stand the Christmas. The only Christmas song I can actually somewhat stand is. Actually, is there a Christmas song I no. can stand? I don't think there is. Literally, no. no. I really, really, really want to say that I can stand the All I Want for Christmas is You, but it's been no. s- played so many fucking times. I can't stand no. it. It's been played so many times. I used to love it as a kid. And then, yeah, it became a trend. And sorry, Mariah. I'm just a Grinch. I don't like Christmas. I don't blame you. For any reasons. I don't blame you on some aspects. It's not what it used to be to me. Well, I like, like, giving gifts and, like, obviously, like, getting gifts. But I like giving them more. But I just don't like Christmas in general. Like, I don't like the holidays. I don't like how people are during the holidays. Yeah, I feel I that. don't like holidays. I, I get that. Yeah. No, I, I'm very kind of ick these days. I think, again, when I get older and I start to look around, I'm like, this isn't what it used to be. <laughs> I don't really like the holidays in general. Like, any holiday. Any holiday? Like, I like Halloween, but I don't even think I like Halloween Day. Like, it's just like a normal I get that. Day it's all, like... Besides, under... like, me and Simon's anniversary, obviously. Well, but, yeah. Like, Halloween Day. Facts. Like, like I don't really ever pass out candy or anything. But I don't it's really It's very underwhelming. Place. I yeah. feel like holidays are underwhelming. And to me, personally, I feel like when I was little, it was a thing. Because I feel like most holidays for kids are, like, a big, over-dramatic kind of, like, thing for kids. And then you become an adult. And then you're like, well, no, it's not. It's not fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> not the same. But I get like, that. I like... The, I like the Halloween vibes. I don't like the Christmas vibes. Yeah, feel that. I, I'm with you here. And then I just don't like the holidays in general. Like I feel holiday. that there. Notice that we haven't covered a holiday case. Uh, <laughs> oh, well. uh, I know, literally. I was kind of like, well, I feel like that's so cliche. So that's why I kind of was like, let's just do the Cecil Hotel series. And here we are. So, um, Also, here in Michigan, the weather is taking us from a back a little um it is being a bitch uh i want to say this whole entire weekend from what we know apparently we're supposed to have like some crazy amount of snow or like snowstorm but i honestly don't believe it like i'm not gonna believe it until i see it i don't know if that's just the type of person i am but for some reason like i feel like people are overreacting like they normally do they might be i think we'll still get a white christmas but i think that but, like, this is Michigan. Like, we're used to snow. Yeah, we we so are. I think this is every year. As soon as we get, like, a bunch of snow, everyone goes crazy. I just think it's hopefully not going to be as bad as people say it is. Because currently it is raining, which, not to rush this episode, but I do want to get home at a reasonable time so we don't have to put me through that. And Brie also has to be up super, super, super early. So, yeah, there's that. So, not... Love. 
yeah, not too much banter today or anything, but uh, nevertheless, we digress. <laughs> I love saying that. It rolls off the tongue pretty well. It kind of does. I love it, though. It's my new term. I love it. Well, while I'm looking up our notes for today's episode, um, if you guys have already listened to it, which I hopefully I'm sure you have. Last week's episode um, was honestly, they probably haven't. You know how many views when we do two parts where people will watch like the second video, but not the yeah. First. What is with you guys in that? Why don't you guys watch both? <laughs> I noticed that when we were looking at our analytics, we noticed that everyone listens to the second like part, part versus the first part, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna go back and explain everything that happens the first time. I'll just let you guys go and listen to it, and then you can just let it continue here. So let's just do that instead of giving you a brief overview about what happened, because I think that's how that's how things are getting cheated here. <laughs> no, we love you guys nevertheless, though. We thank you guys for listening, but definitely listen to the last episode. It's pretty good. Um, and obviously, if you haven't known already, today's episode is an extension of last episode about Jack Unterweger, who is the Vienna Strangler, and he goes by many other names that they've given him, or I should say the press has given him. And he has done some terrible shit, as we've already known. So... Let's continue part two. It's story time. Gather around, children. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! So, not long after Jack Underwicker had admit, been admitted to the uh, Stein prison, he began taking um, and began having these literary courses that were held at the prison. He would take these literary courses along with writing courses and other literary just oh, other literary specific classes. It's definitely the niche that he found for himself. He wasn't uneducated by all means, but he had little to no education and life skills in general. So eventually, while there, he began uh, became an editor for the Shine Prison magazine and the literary review that was also a part of the prison. Now, going back to part one, just briefly, if we think back to the last episode, Jack had really been good at getting what he wanted, and a, he started doing it at a very young age. He basically kind of manipulated his own grandmother and scared off his grandmother, and he already had talked his way out of jail multiple times. So Jack got really creative this time. Now that he was learning to have better reading and writing skills, he felt that he had gained a new talent. He used these skills to his own advantage. He could combine his manipulation techniques and writing techniques together to use it on the outside world. So in 19... Ooh, excuse me, I almost had the verb. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> so in 1979, about three years into his sentence, Jack began to write short stories, plays, poems, and even children's books. Yeah, you did hear me write children's books. This man. Crazy, right? He has no place writing children's books. I'll tell you that. Not at all. Not at all. And according to Parcast's serial killer series, Jack had been able to send his children's books to ORF and... I didn't even tip to type out what the acronym means in my um, notes because it's all in German, but it basically means Austria's National Public Broadcasting Company. 
The parents ate these books up, actually, if you're surprised. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and it kind of just, just became big over Austria, assuming that they had little idea about the infamous serial killer background that he had. I'm just assuming. But as time had went on, and his writing developed, and increasingly got better and better, people began to learn who this man was, but it just seemed that they have to, they just seem to have forgotten about the murder that he had committed against the woman, or they did, they maybe just didn't mind it. And a lot of these people reading his work were generally Austrians, uh, um, uh, well, people of Austria, um, being that his work was pretty much just written in German, so it makes sense. Though people did not need to do extensive research to understand what he did, because his writing did that for him. And whatever he was writing convinced and started really having these citizens believing he was a product of prison reform. Now, do I believe in prison reform? <sighs> it's a slippery slope, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like it's, uh... It really depends, first of all, for me, what someone has done and how often they have done it, because I think that there is the availability for people to really, I don't know, open up and be able to say, hey, I did something really wrong. I want to change. This is me. And I'm being vulnerable to that. Other cases, I feel like sometimes people think they can, but when you have a bad habit, especially when it's a habit like murder... I feel like that's hard. I don't know. What do you think? What exactly are we, like, talking about? In like, prison reform prison in general. Reform. But, like, what does that entail? Prison reform more being so... Being forgiven for what you've done. Being, you know, from the outside world, maybe even seeing it. Because you know how, like, some, like, serial killers maybe even, if we're talking specifically about serial killers, <clears throat> have try to tell like the outside world that you know please forgive me what i did was terrible okay so this is kind of like when like a prison lets someone off yes like, yeah lets them out early because good behavior yeah yeah, yeah yeah um i feel like with lighter sentences yeah but if someone murdered somebody like in cold blood yeah like not self-defense not like oh maybe like whatever like yeah. if it was like cold blood murder like, no. No. Okay. No. Like, him? Then we're on the same page. Him? Hell no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. My like, point. no. <laughs> yeah. Like, he should rot, essentially. That's exactly... That's exactly my point. It's just that... Especially when you've been giving a life sentence, why should you be forgiven for what you have done? You have taken someone else's life, and you're asking to be forgiven for taking that life, and that you've changed. Whether or not you've changed, in my eyes, again... This is just me. You should be able to suffer with those consequences. And if you are really sorry for it, you should be okay with having to suffer with those consequences. There's also many cases of, like, these literal murderers, like, getting out early or getting out on probation or getting... What is that called? Like, where they, like, get out for, like, a week and then they go back? Oh, uh, um... I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a word for it. I mean, yes. Whatever. They might be yelling um, it right now, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you guys are probably yelling it. I can't think of the word right now, but, like, it's a thing. Um, you're talking... Another little peanut brain. No, no, it's okay. Like, there have been many cases where, like, these people, murderers, get out on whatever reason why. 
and they go and murder more. Like, perfect yeah. example is him. And yes, thank like, you. There's, like, so many other cases, too. I can't really think of any right now because I'm on the spot, but I definitely know of <laughs> at least probably two, three more of, like, people who got out early, got out um, for that week, long yeah. thing, got out for whatever reason, probation, and then they just go and commit more crimes. And they're given these freedoms. Yeah. These, like, like, really... why do they deserve any freedoms? They don't. Like, whatever, you're jail is full like and that's your excuse to let a murderer back into the general public like what do you mean yeah no you're definitely right about that and i definitely agree with you i don't think that someone should have that privilege (sighs) which is just so irritating to me to think about but for six years now into his sentence jack had finished a memoir called vega foya if i think i'm saying that right (laughs) Uh, it's actually in English translating to purgatory. So it was fully published in 1982 by uh, Manuscripta, which is currently actually a literary magazine company. And it wasn't until a year later in 1883 when it had been published as a physical book. Now, this memoir had become an Austrian bestseller. This serial killer created a book about his life which it's a little problematic and we'll talk about soon, but he created a book about his life. And he, wait, and at this time, it was known that he was like a serial, well, not yeah. a serial killer, but a murderer. Yeah, people knew he, he murdered. Mur- yeah, the one, the one person. The one person, yes, That's exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, The general exactly. public scares me sometimes. Huh, who, who are you telling? Oh and like, God. I thought about it too, because I was like, oh, is this just like in Vienna? It's just in Germany, like things like that. And I'm not putting any nation against one another, but like, it's honestly the whole world. Like this whole entire world, we are all people. We all need to really- Do better. Do better. Do better. Yes, exactly. And so, like I said, the memoir became an Austrian bestseller. This monster of a man had brutally assaulted, strangled, and killed women, and later became a fucking best-selling author from this. Many natives really stopped viewing him as a serial killer, and after reading his book, they saw him as a man that had been neglected at a very early age, which led him to murder, and they just started seeing him as a victim rather than a vicious criminal. It's the sympathizing. Like, it's the you sympathizing. Can, you can sympathize for, like... I know we kind of talked about this in Eileen Warnos's case. Yes, yeah, yeah. You can sympathize for what they went through, but you cannot sympathize for their actions. Thank you. Just because that's a you beautiful had way to put a it. terrible childhood does not mean that you need to go and murder now. Yeah. Like, yeah, you did have a terrible childhood, and that does incredibly suck and yes i do feel very bad that you had to go through that but that does not mean that you have any right to take away or torture anybody else any yeah beautifully put because is that an unpopular opinion no no no, it's so true (laughs) like controversial no i hope not like guys I get it, and honestly, I have people in my life who have been through a lot of trauma. I do too. So much trauma. And they turned out to be decent humans. They turned out to be decent humans. Yeah. So why does that give you any right to take someone else's life because your quote-unquote trauma, or him, in his sake, his quote-unquote trauma, and decide to just do this, and then say, oh, let me write a book, and just grains everyone's attention so He's they can sympathize. He's playing the victim card when the victim that he victimized is now dead. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, 
From a podcast series I referenced before, they had actually um, included a opening excerpt from his memoir. Um, I found that from that podcast series I had talked about, Serial Killers. I actually was going to buy their book, or buy Jack Ontori's book, just to read through or rent it at least, but that book is $80. I am not doing that. So... <laughs> $80. To rent or to buy? To buy. You can only buy it, and it's $80. At least from what I found on um, on Amazon. So, Jeff Bezos, I'm sorry, but that's Why not happening. Why is it $80? Uh, I was already in the same thing. Where's the PDF? <laughs> Who has the PDF? Yeah, if one of you have the PDF, I would really like to look through it. The only problem about that is it's also in German, so... I don't think I gained anything from that, and I don't think it would be worth it Who either is, way. Who is, like, the money going to at this point? I want to say in His terms of, like, or? I was going to say, he doesn't, he doesn't really even have a family. I want to say when things like that happen and a serial killer maybe writes something and it's, like, worth something, I think it just goes to, like, an organization or something, quite honestly. Like, for... I hope it goes somewhere good. Yeah, I was going to say for maybe, like, victims or something or something like that. I've heard that before, but I'm not actually sure about who the money goes to. But hopefully it's no one that has done shitty shit like him, so... Um, and Bree's going to just say the, uh, quote this excerpt for us real quick. It reads, quote, My hands sweaty with fear were twisted behind my back and the steel chains tightened around my wrists. The hard pressure on my legs and back makes me realize my only escape is to end it. A new package of razor blades lies ready also a long leather strap. I have prepared for the minute of the last decision. I can see my body go to sleep with a final convulsion fleeing from this vegetative life. Is that the answer? End quote. <laughs> so basically, I think in a nutshell, Jack just really starts his Mettenmeyer right off just letting readers know, I have committed a terrible act, I've learned my lesson, and I hate myself for it, I am contemplating suicide. That's at least what I took from it. Yeah, all I kind of took from it was, um, like, I'm a shitty person, and I want to kill myself now. Yeah, exactly. I'm a shitty person. I want to kill myself. Everyone, give me attention. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty but, much. like, I want everybody to know about it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry. Someone's turning on their car outside. It's very loud. My heat kicked on. The heat kicked on. Someone's turning on their car. The sorry about that. who lives below me is turning on their loud-ass car. Is that what that is? Do you should do that? I think it's their car. Oh, shit. I okay. I don't know, though. But it does not look like it should be that loud. Their muffler is loud as fuck, oh but I think it quiet down now, so we're good. But yeah, no, I, I definitely think that um, it's definitely some bullshit, and as we'll see later, someone comes back to certify that this bullshit is bullshit, so <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of wrap it around to that. So, But obviously, he hasn't really, I feel like, maybe contemplated this, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but the whole reason... And the whole reason to even call this name purgatory is, if some of you are not aware, purgatory, according to Roman Catholic doctrine, is the temporary punishment between heaven and hell in which souls are sent to this purgatory for their sins, having the ability to be cleansed of like their sins uh, before having to be sent to heaven. So that's pretty much like what purgatory is. If you guys are still confused about it, just watch American Horror Story. I'm sure, was it season three or something? <laughs> was it the American Horror Story Coven? They talk about purgatory. Do 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think in that season, one of the witches, after dying, spoiler alert, goes to, like, purgatory, and she's stuck there, or whatever, so, there's that. You have to watch it. I you have watched to watch it. it again. I actually rewatch it not too long ago. Really? I have to rewatch it yeah. again. But I do definitely remember that season. I think they talk about a couple other seasons. It's really good. But anyways, I'm getting off topic, sorry. <laughs> um, definitely watch that. And that's kind of like just a little overview about what purgatory is, and that's just based off what I found and just what like I know the about. Yeah. The in between. Yeah. The in between. Um, and so this is what Jack wants. He wants people to believe that he could be sent to this purgatory, quote unquote being prison, reformed, and sent back into society as a new man, being heaven. So, this isn't really what he believed, and his intentions were the same as they always were, though, to deceive and continue taking what he wanted to take. Also, I did kind of imply that all of Austria really began buying up his memoir and believing that he could be reformed, and a lot of people did buy the book, but most people really were being com- the ugh, I can't speak today jeez I'm sorry most people that were being convinced and persuaded were Austria's elite so when I say elite I kind of mean government officials musicians socialites actors etc etc so this was the group that really believed that Jack Unterweger was a changed man they'd read his story and see wow this guy has really been through so much he was neglected by his father and mother they made the mother made her means through sex work he was abused by his grandfather and it still went to find his neglectful uh, neglectful mother uh, later on he didn't find her as he's telling but he found his sex working aunt who then got close to but lost her at because she had been murdered by a client. And if you don't remember that, it was in the last episode. So you can just go back and listen. But again, I mean, don't forget, y'all. We don't know if his mother really was a prostitute. We don't know if his grandfather really abused him. And his mother later recounted never even having a sister. So this book could honestly entirely be fa- uh, a fantasized piece of bullshit for all we know. But, I mean... No, I'm just like, facts. Facts. I'm just saying, I think it could be, but whatever. I agree. Um, But not only did Jack have this best-selling memoir out and selling to the public, but he gave this televised readings uh, of his book from the Shine Prison. They literally let him do this. And again, many of these viewers were wealthy uh, Austrian, I keep saying Australian, Austrian people that were captivated by the story. What they really loved about him was that, to them, he didn't come off as a man looking for money or attention. He, to them, was a man that once murdered but sought forgiveness. That's just what they believed. On top of this, they hadn't seen what Jack looked like prior to his televised reading. It's the 80s, guys, so they couldn't just Google him and just see what he looked like like we can today. So they thought, you know, this is a big, tall guy who's intimidating, scary looking, but reality, if you've seen pictures of him at least, he was just the opposite actually. He was about 5'5", with a very small, slim, kind of boyish looking stature, and luckily for Jack, around the same time, the Austrian government had just been taken over by an innovative group of people that also wanted to push for the um, sorry ideology of prison reform. So 
he also had government officials leading towards this shit that he was selling. Which is just so aggravating to me that government officials would buy into this too. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nah, girl. Not on my watch. <laughs> so in 1985, these people began to petition for Jack Unterweger to be released from his sentence. He was the new face of prison reform in Austria, pretty much, I could say. Now, to also mention and remind, he was also to serve a life sentence for the brutal murder of Margaret Schaefer. And as far as everyone knows, he has only murdered Margaret. No one but the inspector, if you remember, in Salzburg, Inspector Angus Scheiner, has connected him to the murder of Marista Horvat. According to Austria-Germany laws at the time, if convicted for a life sentence, but then pardoned, the convicted felon must serve at least a 15-year sentence, and at this point, Jack had only served 10 years. (laughs) So in the meantime, an Austrian film agency produces his memoir into a fucking movie. Dead. Deceased? Yeah. Like um, a movie. Why? And you know what's worse? This, hold on. <laughs> this, okay, the fact that, I hate that they do this. Did you see, I'm getting off topic. No, go ahead. But, what is that bitch's name? Casey Anthony? Yeah. Hulu made a movie about her, and she's getting money from it. Wait, is like, she really? Yeah, she's getting money from this movie that Hulu made. So every time someone watches, she is making money. Um, even though she highly likely killed her daughter. That's just crazy to me. Oh, I want to know what you guys all believe about that case. I don't know if everyone's heard about it. It's a very, very big case in America. But, um, yeah, Casey Anthony had allegedly... Allegedly. Allegedly, don't come for us, Casey, killed her daughter. And she had been served a sentence. I don't know a lot about that case. We can cover it one day, but that is a pretty crazy case. Yeah, long story short, before we get too off topic, Hulu made a movie about it, which is eerily similar to this. And it's people who don't deserve fame getting fame. Yeah. And to make it all the worse, on top of that, <laughs> Jack had been actually invited formally to the premiere in 18, uh, sorry, 1988 to the Fells Film Festival. And I'll post pictures of this um, because you can actually see him in the picture standing on the red carpet in this decked out outfit. It fucking annoys me. You're giving this man who has been sent to jail for murder the opportunity to make a film out of his memoir and then you invite him to a fucking film festival. What the fuck? You know. (laughs) You can't make this shit up. I have a lot to say, but I'm not going to say anything. And then on top of that, I'm also pretty sure when I was researching, I had came across his IMBD page. So that's just another thing in itself. I hate that. I hate it. Oh my God. <laughs> so he served that 15 years and his served, uh, he was served afterwards a psychiatric um, evaluation. The psychiatrist was Garhard Kaiser and he felt that he was perfectly reformed and he was restored to normal, quote unquote. And the court then agreed. So on May 23rd, 1990, Jack was released on parole not long after, or sorry, before his 40th birthday and was a free man. Now, well into his 40s as a successful author, Jack was also very wealthy as a man, at this point at least, and was loved by so many people. 
Literally, why? Again, not to be redundant and be like a broken, you know, record, but he killed somebody. So just know that. He started getting these big ass gigs too, to speak on talk shows and interviews for magazine articles. This man was basically a celebrity and he was really feeling himself at this point. I'll post pictures more about, you know, all the professional photos that he had taken because it's truly just astonishing to me that he was even able to do this. If I remember correctly, um, I think one is like him. He's at a coffee shop. You can't tell because he's just sitting on a black chair, but he's at a coffee shop and he just looks so happy. He's like pointing at the camera. He got a dog. I think it was like some kind of like, what's the... What's that dog from, um, oh, it's a German Shepherd. That's what I'm thinking of. It makes sense. German. Um, he had a German Shepherd. <laughs> he had a German Shepherd and a picture and he's like pointing at the camera and it was by this like really like famous photographer. And then there's another picture of him that I'll post, um, that is of him like shirtless and ooh, it makes me like gag. Ooh, it's Instead so gross. Instead of his nickname being, <clears throat> excuse me. Instead of his nickname being the Vienna Strangler, I feel like it should be, like, the most liked serial killer. The most liked serial killer. That's a really good way to put it. Because what the fuck? Yeah. Literally. Literally. Like, why is everybody just, like, literally dropping their pants for this man right now? Like, I'm wondering the same shit. Taking the pictures, letting him out of jail early. You know like, what fucks me up, too? Is platform. that Yeah. And that... And even that picture, like, of him shirtless, he has a big-ass, like, chest tattoo that he got, I guess, when he was in jail. And it literally says in little words, make love, not war. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you... Boy, um... Make love, not war, my fucking Make it ass. make sense. Again, you can you guys can go find that on our Instagram, at WLGTO Podcast. Look, go look it up. But, um, <laughs> it's definitely very aggravating to even look at, so just know that. So, not long after his unfortunate claim to fame, for lack of a better term, he's thinking, okay, I need to go and find an actual job because I am a conniving piece of shit that is only making an income from this book. Okay, he didn't actually say I'm a conniving piece of shit. I said that, but... But he should have. I had to shoehorn that in there. Yeah, you're right. So he ends up getting offered a job at the Austrian Public Broadcasting Company as a reporter. The same people who published his children's book, by the way. Girl. And let me just say, if this criminal can get this kind of work offered to him, I guess we can do anything. Because what yeah, the fuck? That, no, <laughs> that nobody should be homeless because... You literally. <laughs> what? Okay, that's like a joke. No, no. Yeah, but they mean they know what we mean, right? I mean, come on. Like, like if... If a literal serial killer could can get, get a, a job, job that easily, like, we can be the president of the United States and all yes. the homeless people should be working somewhere because what the hell? I went to school and got my degree in multimedia journalism. And he's having a rough time finding things. <laughs> I'm having a time, bitches. I'm having a good time trying and, to find And a Mr. Job. Man just goes and kills a woman. And just becomes and a reporter. Finds a job. What? Writes the children's book and gets famous. Like what the fuck? Corrupt. What the fuck? Yeah. Corrupt. Thank you. Thank you. Like literally. Um. So when I had also been researching about what topics he was specifically enjoying reporting about, you can only guess what he was invested in reporting into. 
sex workers, and the red light districts of various territories and countries. L-O-L. <laughs> Lol. L-O-L. <sighs> so, yeah. Um, Friday, September 1990. Uh, uh, I didn't even put the date. I'm sorry, guys. I don't even know where it went. But he flies home from his... Um, he flies from his home in Vienna to Prague to find a solid story to report on, and oh boy does he find a real one to create his own with. Ironically, the same day he had flown in, 30-year-old Bianca Bo- uh, Bo- uh, Bokova... Let me guess. Goes missing? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Who would have thought? Yeah. So, she had gone missing. She lived in Prague. That night, she had gone out with some girlfriends for drinks. Now, it's unknown from my research if she was a sex worker. She had been in a poly... Well, some say, according to different sources, and I don't want to say whether or not she was or wasn't. Some say she was maybe in a polyamorous relationship because she did have a husband or she was having an affair. I don't know. It's not our business to really wander, but her friends had known her to do this here and there. But allegedly. But allegedly. She wanted to hang out at the bar after her friends had left, and her friends were not stoked about it, but they offered her ride. I mean, they offered her rights back. She didn't want to, so they respected her wishes, assuming she didn't want to go, and they just assumed she'd get home safe. Today's age, don't do that, <laughs> but. Definitely understand where they're coming from. When you have a friend, the most you can do, you can ask them, strongly suggest. You can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. So she wanted to hang out back at the bar and um, they had respect to her wishes. But unfortunately, that was the last time she'd be seen alive. Saturday, uh, September 15th, 1990, one day later... As hikers were hiking through the woods along the Vltava River in Prague, they spotted the body of a nearly nude woman found only wearing knee-high stockings and a wedding ring. Her legs were spread apart, and she had been noticeably strangled. The investigators did find that she had been assaulted with an instrument of some sort based on the vaginal terror, but that instrument had not been found, and the item she was strangled with had been found either at the crime scene. This victim was obviously in fact Blanca Bokova, and she had left behind two children in her wake. Truly sad to me, because she had a whole family, and this asshole just took that from her. The next day of scouting the area, investigators did find her clothes and ID, but no evidence indicating who had done this awful thing to her. Oh, and if you were mildly wondering, because I didn't technically say who it was, it was yours truly, Jack Unterweger. Had to also mention that just because, uh, if anyone was thinking, he has everything he needs, why kill? This is what he really wanted from the beginning. This life the memoir brought him did not stop his ability to take these women's lives. It only subdued it and then just continued the criminal tendencies. And the book only really drew in sympathy from others to help them to help him, I guess, flee prison with no repercussions. Now, do I think he knew he would become famous from this? 
No, I don't think he did. I think he knew it would help him in his favor to get out of prison and have prison reform because he knew of like the timing of it and he knew that the government had been open to the prison reform kind of thing. But I don't think that he knew that he was going to become famous from it. So I think that's just him getting lucky, unfortunately. But like I said, the police did end up finding Blanca's clothes and ID that she had on the night that she went, uh, she was murdered, but no actual leads as to who had done this were found. A couple of witnesses did tell investigators that they had seen her the previous night conversing with a man in his early 40s in Winslow Square, which wasn't very far from Voltava River, where she was found. But their description of the mysterious man cannot really be defined enough to have details. So, so far the Prog uh, Police Department, as they knew, they just had nothing to go off of. The case really just ended up going cold, all the while Unterweger just went back to Vienna undetected with no suspicions. So on October 26, 1990, in Graz, Austria, 39-year-old sex worker Bruhilda Maza was witnessed sometime after midnight conversing with a taxi driver. Apparently, they kind of knew each other, and after the taxi driver drove off, she had been stopped by another witness, uh, sorry, by another person, that witnesses recount being a dapper, well-dressed man in his 40s seemingly wanting to pick her up. So she went off with him, and this would be the last time Brunhilda, uh, Brunhilda would be seen alive. So January 5th, 1991, nearly two months later, her body had been discovered. Children were playing in the woods when they thought they had found a dirty, abandoned mannequin, but they didn't realize at first, and after a closer glance, they noticed it was a woman's body. I mean, already tragic, but that's really sad that, that the is... kids found him. Or yeah. found her, sorry. Whenever it's like a kid finding the deceased dead body of someone else, it's just truly terrifying. Traumatizing. Traumatizing. Cannot, is, cannot, cannot think about or fabricate how it must be for me as an adult to see that. Cannot imagine what it must be like for kids to see that. It's so sad. So, like I had said, her body was found. Like Blanca, she had been sexually assaulted, stripped bare, and her neck showed signs of strangulation. Now, by the way, I didn't know this, but sex work is actually legal in, um, in Austria for anyone over the age of 19. Didn't know that. I know that it's legal in, what is that, Amsterdam, where they have, like, the red light district and stuff. Yeah. Too. Like, it's really not that uncommon in that's, Europe. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it was really interesting, it was really, like, puzzling for, I mean, if you're thinking way, way back, maybe to, like, a lot of early days, we can, like, think about from Europe, at least, like, Jack the Ripper and things like that. Um, but it was still a little weird that someone was just targeting all these uh, sex workers. So it was it was weird. It was a weird thing. Now, the next victim, I believe, was in Vienna, but narcissists seem to be accurate on this. After Jack had returned on December 5th, 1991, he had targeted 31-year-old sex worker Heidi Marie Hammer, uh, Hammerer. It was until New Year's Day, actually, of 92, when the hiker had discovered her body nude from the waist down and her pantyhose wrapped around her neck, used to strangle her. So now, he's just going for it. It's just really, it was like him kind of 
killing year after year, and now it's just rapidly progressed to month after month. And it's like his signature trademark, too. Yeah, it really is. Isn't this how he killed the first victim? Mm -hmm. Like, how did they not catch on? How did they not put one of one together? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is he in a different country now? Um, he's back in Vienna, so this is, like, the same area, Austria, like, he's in that area. Yeah, like, they yeah. literally should catch, especially because he's, like, famous now? Like, he's a That's no what name. I'm saying. Oh, my God. It frustrates me to the core, and I feel like we're gonna get a little more frustrated in the, in the minute here, so, uh, just hold on to your butts. Just imagine how, if he wouldn't have been let out, how these women would literally still have their lives. They would. They definitely, they definitely, I always think about that. I'm sorry to, like, go off topic again, but side note, I always think about with these murderers, had they not killed these people, how would their families turn out? How... Yeah, how much would the world change? Butterfly yeah. effect, people. Really? Really? We have to do a... We should do, like, a like an episode on that kind we of should. thing. That would be really interesting. So, early that year, in 1991, he actually tried to write a play called Dungeon, which would be a prequel to his Man, memoir. These motherfuckers trying to be a playwright? <laughs> Literally. Oh my god. But good thing it wasn't making much money and the way that he thought it would and this failure really just started to bother him because he cannot bear failing, I guess. So he had wrote another play called Scream of Fear and this actually stretched to a couple different cities in Austria. Crazy to note... When one of the performances had gone, was going on, he literally left the production and found a sex worker. Her name was Afrida Strength and Graz. But instead of just strangling her, he actually forced her to give him um, his, uh, give her his number of her parents and talk to them on the phone while he was sexually assaulting her and killing her. Bro, what? He's elevating it to another level. That's also so risky for him. Very, very risky. Why? That's also traumatizing. And that's also just terrible. Wow. I can imagine having my child and like, I don't know if, I don't, I, I don't know again. She was a sex worker. I don't know if her family knew this or not, but it's just crazy to think that he had forcibly got her parents' phone number, called them, and then abused her over the phone. Insane that that even happens. It's truly another another level of just brutal and just terrible, terrible stuff. Now, before leaving Vienna between April and May of 1991, he'd murder four more women on top of the five women he had already killed by this point. So he's at nine? Yeah. Oh my god. Four in one month, by the way. Holy fucking shit. Jesus, that's like one a week. It's one a week. Literally one a week. Oh my god. These women were 23-year-old Sylvia Zogler, 25-year-old Sabina Mozi, 33-year-old Regina Prim, who, like Alfreda, had called Regina's family and taunted them while killing her, and 25-year-old Katrina Roku, also discovered strangled. To make this all the worse... He's still a reporter, keep in mind. He went to Vienna's red light district to interview sex workers that were terrified about these murders that they heard about. So he literally committed these murders, and then he went out to report about the murders that he committed 
to other sex workers. Well, that's one way to get an like, interesting story. Yeah, right? To report on. To commit something and then do it. Yourself. And then make Yeah, right? Like, what the fuck? Honestly, <laughs> kind of innovative. It, yeah, yeah. No, it, absolutely it, terrible. It's absolutely a, terrible. It's a sinister, innovative way to get your name out there. Yeah. Oh my god, this man is like maniacally smart. Yeah, all the like, while, police are just finding terrible. these terrible, terrible women are just. I mean, terrible. the police are just finding these women stretch all over Vienna, and barely beginning to just <laughs> notice the mo that this serial killer has for strangling these women in their own underwear. In their How did own... they like not puzzle piece this together? They're this being is so annoying. It's very frustrating, and I don't know what was going on with this department at the time. I don't know why they weren't connecting these together, but it's the same M.O. It's the same thing. But if you remember, Salzburg Inspector Inga Strainer, who again was connected to, uh, sorry, connected him to the murder of Marisa Horvat, but did not have enough evidence to um, charge him with, was not letting this go. He knew exactly who this was. And he was the badass that would get this story kind of off the top, off the, off the, off the ground, I should say. Now, this is really when the press starts to give the killer of these sex workers a name, which they called him the Vienna Woods Killer. So, Angus Shaner calls the homicide sector of Vienna police and tells them, I think Jack Unterweger, who was convicted of Margaret Schaefer's death, is behind this. But the Vienna replete... But the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the Vienna police were not convinced. They don't want to believe that it's Vienna's reform star writer. So they just didn't believe it. So that same week, Jack walks into the Vienna police station to interview police about their findings on this <laughs> so-called serial killer... Jack finds that the police have been struggling to find any any evidence of the guy committing these crimes, even though he's the guy doing it in the station. He's so smart. He's so e- equipped about the like. It's so crazy that he's so swift about doing all this, he's and no terrible. one, no one suspects it. No one suspects it, like, suspects it, even though he has this criminal record already of killing somebody. So he interviews um, Officer Edelbacher. And he questions, Edelbacher at least, he questions what Inspector Shaner had to say about Jack, even though he didn't want to believe that Jack could do this and resort back to the violence. To him, he had seemed like a changed man, but he wanted to follow up this tip, and that's what he did. So Jack leaves the station, and after interviewing Edelbacher, Edelbacher has sent police officers to surveil him for the next couple of days. So those next couple of days, officers have found nothing about Jack. They followed him around. He was just going to restaurants. He wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. And on June 10th, Jack returns to Abelbacher to inform him that he was going to travel to the U.S. to work. Now keep in mind, he's on, um, what's the word? Uh, he's on probation, yes. So, thank you. He's on probation, so he can't obviously really just leave the state i mean the state you can't really just leave the country without telling somebody so he did let abel Parker know that he was just going to go to do more work for his job as a reporter and abel Parker was okay with it he wished him luck but 
Abelbacher was still kind of weary about this. He was kind of suspicious. I really wish he hadn't done that. Because on June 1991, Jack flies into LAX. He takes a car into downtown Los Angeles, where he checks into the infamous, the one and only, Brie, you got this? Cecil Hotel. You got that right. <laughs> freaking you know, that place. Hotel. The infamous hotel. Jack Underrigger was once a, a resident at the Cecil Hotel. A resident or a guest? Guest. Sorry, I did not okay. mean to say resident. I was like, he lived there? Okay. Guess. <laughs> no, he wasn't a resident, but he did check into the Cecil Hotel. Well, guess as to how he found out about this hotel. He read about the infamous serial killer, Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, and was so enthused by who he was and what he had done that he found out about the Cecil Hotel and he checked into this hotel. So while in Los Angeles, Jack met up with Hollywood reporters and also toured LA to sightsee. He also wanted on the side to find his American father who had lived in America and had some reporters had uh, to help him, but had no luck. And I think this kind of just really angered him a little bit that he couldn't find his father. Well, one night on June 19th, 1991, in downtown LA, 35-year-old sex worker Shannon Exley had gotten into a cab from her home, making her way to 7th Street to begin her work that evening. This area was also known as Skid Row. Not long after, she was approached in a car by a man in his mid-40s with a very nice dapper looking outfit on. He wrote down his window and he asked her how much. He had broken English, but was clear enough for her to understand. And then he looked mighty wealthy. So she tells him how much it is and he invites her into the car and they drive off. They drive down 7th Street over the bridge along Los Angeles River and park in a deserted lot in Boyle Heights. The next day, on June 20th, 1991, Shannon's body was found near a pile of garbage discovered by a group of girls passing by. Her body was found similar to the rest, nude with her bra wrapped tightly around her neck, indicating that she had been brutally strangled. In the next couple days, Jack just decides to participate in the LGBTQ uh, parade in West Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. This man. (laughs) And nothing happened. It was like nothing happened. He even partnered and rode along with the LAPD to watch them for his article about LA violence. This man is literally like a fever dream. Yes. This fuckface gets in a car with LAPD, rides around with them as he's a fucker that's over here committing these crimes. And then on top of that, he goes to a fucking queer parade. What? What? Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I get a little into it. But June 28th, Jack finds 33-year-old sex worker Inira Rodriguez near the Cecil Hotel. She had just gotten to town from a Greyhound, and unfortunately, she had been a heroin addict. So she paid her addiction through prostitution. He drove her to a similar spot like Shannon in an abandoned parking lot outside the city and strangles her with her own bra leaving a syringe needle beside her bare body. So, not long after this, 
on July 3rd, Jack had tracked down a successful Australian filmmaker. His name is Robert Dar- Darham, I want to say. I'm sorry if I butchered that. He actually lived on in the hills of L.A., and Jack had basically wanted to track him down to help him make his memoir into an American version of his film, which, fuck off, don't bring that over here. And I guess this interaction did not go well. Darhelm knew that who he was and kind of mocked him, and this really just p- pissed Jack off. So what does Jack do? He finds 26-year-old Sherry Long, who looked to become a star, who moved to LA, but found no luck and became an addict to drugs, soon becoming a sex worker to pay for them. She met Jack on the street. Jack had picked her up and drove her outside of the town, out of the public view, where he... Once again, assaulted, strangled, and left her bare dead body in an open parking lot to be found days later. So, July 20th, he decides to leave Los Angeles and heads back to Vienna to publish his story on the crime in America, ironically. And the next day, Jack is confronted in the cafe by his step-cousin, who you guys may remember from part one, Charlotte O'Hower. We talked about her last episode. She was his ex-cousin who lived with him, their grandfather, their grandmother. She had read his memoir while he had been away and was furious about the lies that he told. This asshole tried to act like he didn't know who she was when she walked up to him. And then she pulled out a photo of her, him, and their grandparents. And she threatens to tell everyone the truth about his story. And you know what he tells her? Be quiet or something bad may happen to you. So understandably, she was fearful and agreed. But she isn't the only one that tried to tie things together. Because not long after, in September of 1991, Jack finds an article that seems to suggest that the Viennese police finally have suspects. Jack starts to begin freaking out. So he goes back to Sergeant Autobacher to question about the Vienna Strangler for his story, and Autobacher tells him, We've got nothing so far, but we're keeping it close to the chest. We might have leads. So Jack starts really thinking, They're on to me. In reality, Autobacher lied. Jack was the main suspect. The only suspect. So, on October 7th, 1991, Jack returns to Adelbacher, and Jack is seemingly taking more notes for his quote-unquote work for his reporting job, and he tries to wiggle in these different alibis to kind of throw Adelbacher off course to make him think that it's not him. And I think Adelbacher was kind of just trying to decompress Jack so he wouldn't think Jack was onto the police, and Jack believes it. It's business as usual for him. He's like, okay, I think I'm good. And he goes on his merry way. So on November 16th, 1991, Jack meets an 18-year-old Bianca Rack, who was a young girl that had Jack just tied up. I think, I don't know where she came from, but they just seemingly got this romantic thing going on. These two actually moved in together and pretty much groomed her into being his fiance, long story short. And by the next year, they were married. It is not known why he found and chose Bianca to be his wife, and I'm not sure if that was his wife, but I do know for sure that that was his fiance. But she was seemingly naive and had kind of 
had a thing for him. So it's kind of weird. And I think he was just kind of using her for leverage. So that, that would make sense, yeah. But Jack is an idiot. And this did not help because the case against Jack was getting very strong. They even assembled a whole team specifically looking into Jack. So February 1992 had came and Jack read an article in the paper saying, quote, murder series, an arrest warrant for Jack Unterweger. Immediately Jack fled. They're on to him. Just in time, because that next day, the Viennese police forced their way into Jack's home, where he had already left and fled, and they found receipts to purchases that he had made in Los Angeles. The Vienna police had contacted the LAPD, to which they had then been able to connect the Los Angeles murders to Jack Unterweger. So now, they had solid evidence, and the question stands, where the fuck did Jack go? So he had convinced and taken him and Bianca to France, where they then bought tickets to New York. Then from New York, they went to hideout in Florida. (laughs) So they're back in the United States. While in Miami, Jack had gotten Bianca as a go-go dancer. He kind of convinced her to do this. And while she did that, he worked on where they flew to next. So Garrett Schmidt, who was a editor for Success Magazine, actually found Jack and told him, hey, you know, you're on the run and I want, I won't turn you in, but if you do an interview with me, I can wire you some money and help you flee. And so Jack agreed, unknowingly, that the money transfer was wired to alert authorities of Jack's whereabouts. So they're getting pretty, pretty smart here, I guess. And thanks to Gert, this actually really happened. This really helped. So that next day, Jack had gotten Bianca to go in and get the money for him, to which she agreed. While she went in, he sat in the car, but noticed something was off. He was looking around and noticed that there were cars that people were just staring at him then. And at that moment, he knew what was happening. As soon as Bianca had came out, he shouted, telling her to hurry up, we need to go. But she couldn't hear him from afar and wasn't speeding up quick enough. He had just sped off, just went down the block, making it only so far before police had trapped him and immediately cuffed and arrested him and Bianca. So now he's finally caught. He was held in a Miami jail while Vienna and Los uh, Los Angeles authorities worked together to build a case against him. They thought that he had just killed these two places. They were madly wrong because in his Miami apartment, authorities have found a journal according, I'm sorry, admitting to his murders in various countries in Europe. So, on May 28th, 1992, he was sent to prison in Vienna to await his trial. He couldn't bear to be back, so he wanted to seem suicidal at first to cut his wrists, but he's a dumbass and they just banished him right back up. And he sat left rotting for the next two years until the trial began on April 20th, 1994. And there he had begun being tried for the 9 to 11 murders of women between Prague, Vienna, and Los Angeles. These weren't even all the murders that he had committed, but they were the only murders that they could really tie him to. On June 28th, Jock Unterweger was found guilty of the murders and was set to spend the rest of his life behind bars. But the next day, on June 29th, 1994, at Graz, Giacomini Prison, Jack's body was found hanging from his prison cell. He had used 
a drawstring on his pants to hang himself from a coat hook. Good. Good riddance. This piece of garbage took his life because he cannot bear to deal with the consequences of the murders that he committed. Seemed like he was doing pretty good to me until he got thrown back in jail. Yeah. Hell yeah. And may he rest in distress. And if purgatory is real, I hope he never leaves it. And I hope he fucking, fucking... If any of that's real, he's in hell. He's in... Oh yeah, he's definitely in hell. (laughs) But yeah, that is the case of Jack Unterwaker that takes us to the end of the Vienna Strangler. Um, Thanks for hanging with us through that long episode. I think today was pretty long, but a lot of it needs to be said. And I hope I can give a lot of those victims the voice that they needed to be heard. I truly am just taken aback even from taking those notes based on the shit that he actually had done because it's just crazy to me. This man did murder at least almost up to 11 and on with these murders and it's just like why? For what? Like I get the mama drama shit. I get the torture and the whatever that he may have been through as a kid that he had supposedly said that he had been through but quite honestly I'm like dude like he had no reason. These women had lives. These women had children to take care of. And you just stole that from them. Not only did you do that, but you wanted to extend that to by going to another country, many other countries, and just taking other people's lives. Yeah, and just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. It's just so crazy to me. But yeah, that that is the end of that. Um, before we wrap up fully today, we had kind of given you a little easter egg about the next case that we're going to be talking about and it's not going to just be one story we're wrapping up this year with two well as it's sorry that's wrong it's one story but two parts just to be just to be clear um i think you guys can go back and figure it out yourselves but it'll be a good one it'll be a good way to end up the year so merry christmas stay safe If you live in the Midwest, I'm sorry. Stay warm. Yes, stay warm. If you live anywhere else in the world with a lot of snow, stay warm. We love you. As always, the ways to reach us are going to include Instagram at WTLGO Podcast um, and Kendall's personal Instagram at This Is Kendall Hudson. Our Facebook page, When the Lights Go Out. Twitter, WTLGO Podcast. Our email, wtlgoinquiries at gmail.com. And our YouTube, WTLGO Podcast. Hoping to post some stuff there, maybe within the next new year. Um, as always, feel free to DM, comment, or email any stories that you want us to cover for next year. As well as send in listener stories as well. We really want to read them and feature them. Um, and that is all. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Tuning in, joining in and supporting us um we'll catch you in the next episode hell yeah wrapping up this year Woo! episode 17 episode 17 y'all we're making it pretty 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 far i'm so proud of us and again merry christmas we love you hope you get everything you've wished for including our beautiful voices so (laughs) and With that, we will see you when the light goes out.